I love coming to this church. And when Barry had emailed me a couple weeks back, I said, as many times as I can, let me know. I'd love to be here. You guys are so warm and welcome. I was telling some sweet ladies in the back too, love the name tags because at RUF, we do name tags every week. It's easy for visitors and folks just to get to know you, get to know your name. And it's the small things and the details that really make a community beautiful and warm and welcome. And so thank you for always welcoming me. Um, my wife and my family are not here with me uh, this week. They are back at home, um, but they will be probably in the next two weeks when I come back. So look forward to having them join me as well. We're going to be um, looking this week, next week, and one week in July at a couple of the Psalms. We're going to dive into these beautiful songs that breathe life into us. And I'll, But before I kind of dive into Psalm 1 today, which is really what we're looking at, is Psalm 1 and the six verses, I want to give us an introduction to the Psalter as a whole, because I, I want you to hunger more for all of the Psalms. I want you to see their beauty and the depth and some of the diversity, and I want to give you a brief introduction to the Psalter so that you have a greater even love or interest um, a want to dive into them, not just today, but all the days of the weeks. So I'm going to give a big picture, which I hope then will be like an appetizer to the main course of Psalm 1, which we'll get in just a moment, and then we look at Psalm 77 next week as a little dessert. So I hope you guys um, find some delight in what we're going to be receiving in the book of Psalms, because I'll tell you right now, it has been a blessing to me, breathing life into me, this past year as I've just gone through daily devotionals through the Psalms. So here's some introductory material on the Psalter. There are 150 Psalms in the book of Psalms and they're divided into five books. You have eight authors um, that are known and attributed, right, composers of these beautiful songs. You have King David who's ascribed 73, almost more than right, right, half of these Psalms, almost, right? 73 of the Psalms. You have Jedithan, who's ascribed authorship to three of the Psalms. You have Moses, who's ascribed one of the Psalms. You have King Solomon, who's ascribed two Psalms. The sons of Korah, ascribed 12 Psalms. Asaph, the choir master, you have ascribed 12 Psalms that he wrote. You have Heman, a name that we've not heard probably too much. Heman, the Ezraite, one Psalm. And Ethan, the Ezraite, is ascribed one Psalm. And the date in which most of these psalms, right, were written and composed was probably right around 1000 BC during the height of Israel's monarchy during the reign of David, right? And even Solomon when the temple was built and these psalms were being sung at the temple, right? And so most of them probably would have been written, performed, and sung and recited during this time frame. But these psalms, right, we call them songs, which they are, are Hebrew poetry, Okay, And there's eight different forms of this beautiful Hebraic poetry. And I want to give you a, a glimpse of what these forms are and maybe an example of what psalm is in these forms. So we have hymns, right? Songs of great joy, like Psalm 98. We have laments, songs of great distress. This is godly complaining. You are realizing things are not right with the world. And you are expressing that to God. 
That's different from grumbling. Grumbling is blaming God, and that is not necessarily godly. But we have laments. Things are not as they should be, crying out to God like Psalm 69. We have thanksgiving psalms. These are responses for God's help, like in Psalm 30. We have expressions of trust and confidence, confidence psalms as well. We get psalms like Psalm 23, that God is walking with us. He is our great shepherd, who even when we go through the darkest of valleys, the valley of the shallow of death, he is there with us, leading us beside still waters, restoring our soul, taking us to green pastures. We have psalms of, of, of divine oracles and prophetic psalms proclaiming even beautiful things of Christ's death in Psalm 22. We have wisdom psalms, wisdom literature, like we have in Psalm 1 today, in Psalm 119, giving us wise lyrics to live and apply every day of our life. We also have remembrance psalms, which are great acts of God. We have songs recalling the mighty works of God that he's done for his people Israel. And they're saying, thank you, Lord, for the beautiful, majestic things that you've done. We get examples of these remembrance psalms, even like Psalm 77 and Psalm 114. And we have royal psalms, proclaiming God as the great suzerain king over all things. He reigns over all as our protector, our provider, and the one who rules from his heavenly throne. The Psalter is ultimately praise and communication with God. These psalms are written in response a lot of times to the composer's experience of God's presence or their feelings of his absence during specific historical episodes of their lives as they write these words out inspired by the Spirit. That's why these psalms are so real, they're tangible, they're accessible because they reflect the ups and downs of real life. That's what these songs do. They are not like the Lego song that everything is awesome every day of our life. They reflect just all of the, all the ups and downs, the waves. And they're a beautiful expression of what it is to walk with the, the Lord in this life. The early church saw the beauty of these songs. They sang them, they prayed them, they recited them, they meditated them. They read them publicly and obviously privately. They engulfed themselves into the Psalter because its taste and authenticity, its power, its, its authority was so good. And they loved it and they needed it so they would dive deep into them week in and week out. Benedict of Nursia, he's a, an influential 5th century Catholic monk. When he was forming his monasteries and creating the Order of Benedict, he directed that all 150 psalms be sung, read, and prayed each week. All of them each week for his people. Throughout the medieval age, the psalms were the most familiar part of the Bible. It was expensive to own your full copy of the Bible, but what the lay folks did have oftentimes was the psalms. They would read them and they would sing them. During the time of the Reformation, the Psalms played a major role in the reform of the Catholic Church as well as the beginning and the building of the Protestant churches. Martin Luther says, the Psalms are a little Bible in themselves and a summary of the Old Testament. And John Calvin agreed. And that's why John Calvin in his church and in the churches that he influenced and he visited 
he would prescribe these metrical psalms to all of the people as the main diet of musical worship and singing them. And he had great influence over many churches in the 16th century and even obviously today. They would not only read the psalms, but they would pray them and they would sing them. They were part of all aspects of life. And so these psalms should be used and reused in everyday life, especially in public worship. Why? Because as one of our historic church fathers said, Athanasius, he said, whatever your particular need or trouble from this same book, you can select a form of words to fit it so that you learn the way to remedy your ill and see God as he is, who is your redeemer, your healer, your protector, your savior. Meaning whatever the particular need or trouble may be, the Psalms have something for you. That's just true. They are beautiful. They are wonderful. And they have something for you when you come to them. The Psalms put their undeviating understanding of the greatness of the Lord alongside our situation so that we might have a due sense of the correct proportion of all things, big and small, good and bad. They make sense of our world. And of who God is and what he's doing in and through our circumstances. These psalms are more than primers. But they are a medicine chest for the heart and for our soul. And the best possible guide for practical living in this fallen world. They are the word of God coming from a divine source. The psalms help us see God. Maybe not as we wish or hope him to be but actually as he is and as he reveals himself to be in the Bible. And so the Psalter is rich beyond human invention. This is a quote um, from Tim, uh, Tim Keller in his daily devotion on the Psalms, and I'm kind of paraphrasing it a little bit here. It goes like this. The Psalms say of God that he is more holy, He's more wise, more fearsome, more tender, more loving than we could ever imagine. For the Psalms fire our imaginations into new realms, yet guide them toward the God who actually exists and not the fictitious version that often lies within our own minds. These songs are unlike any other song. This is not, right, Billboard's top 100 or top 150. These are divine songs with the power to convict us, to mold us, to shape us, to breathe life into us, and to reveal who God is and his glory, his grace, and his mercy, and his saving power. And they can change us inside out. And that is the beauty of what we prepare ourselves for now in the main course of diving into Psalm 1. And so pray with me before we get to dive into this beautiful psalm. Let's do that now. Father, as we dive into Psalm 1, refresh us. Thank you so much for giving us your word. Jesus, thank you for fulfilling your word, for living it out, being perfectly obedient, becoming flesh and entering into our broken word. Holy Spirit, now apply your word to our lives. Help us to delight in the instruction of you all the days of our lives. Lord, we love you. We need you. 
give us a hunger for your word. And all God's people said, amen. Well, Psalm 1 is an introductory psalm. It's a wisdom psalm. So it's something that we are to live and apply. It's a way that we need to think about life. And it should alter the way we think about living this life. But this psalm really divides in two nice ways. We see the way of life in verses 1 through 3. And then we see the way of destruction in really verses 4 through 6. And so that's kind of the divide of Psalm 1. The psalm says in verses 1 through 3, the way of life, this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The word of the Lord. Isn't it interesting that the author of this psalm, who isn't mentioned right at the beginning, he makes it explicit that a man or woman who is blessed, who is set apart by God's divine choosing, is one who does not delight in three kinds of things. They are walking in the counsel of the wicked. They do not delight in standing in the ways and manners of sinners. And those who are blessed and delight in God and his law do not sit in the seat of mockers, mocking others themselves. And you would say, well, of course, those things sound terrible. We do not want those things. These are not good things that will fulfill. Who wants to willingly heed the wisdom, right, of, of people or philosophies of this world which are evil and will not fulfill? Who wants to knowingly entrench themselves into an, an addiction, right? Or get comfortable with people who make fun of other people just for fun or to build themselves up. Not me, right? Not us most of the time. And I would reply, that's fantastic. That's good. These are things that God is not fond of. These are ways to destruction, not ways to life. Right? But if you don't delight in the downfall of others and you don't, and don't love indulging in sin or or listening to the wisdom of the world, or the philosophies of evil people who will lead you astray? Then my question is this, what do you delight in? What do you enjoy? What do you indulge in in this life with your time? Who or what holds influence over you and your thought life, the way you live, your philosophy for living, your theology? Who or what holds influence over you? What is shaping you? Because what you delight in will shape you in some way, shape, or form. And it will lead you down a path. Which path is that going to be? Those who are blessed, who are set apart by the grace of God, the psalmist says, answer with this. That I delight in the law of the Lord, of course. I delight in the instruction of the Lord. And what is the instruction of the Lord? It's the 66 books of the Bible. I delight in scripture, the very words of God itself. I delight in them. For only the Lord's instructions will set us on a path towards righteousness, joy, peace, fulfillment, and life eternal. Nothing else will. Any other way, philosophy of life, any other false truth, right? It's going to lead us down a slippery slope, maybe even a slow way towards destruction. 
In C.S. Lewis's book, it's a wonderful book, Screwtape Letters, there's an elder demon. His name is Screwtape. And as he's writing to his nephew, Wormwood, who's a younger demon, Screwtape is teaching his nephew, Wormwood, how to torment and deceive his patient or his human. He's trying to lead his human astray and away from God and away from the scriptures. And Screwtape says to Wormwood this, from one elder statesman demon to a younger demon. He says, Wormwood, in, indeed the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, that soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Never forget that when we are dealing with any pleasure in its healthy and normal and satisfying form, we are, in a sense, on the enemy's God's ground. And I know, Wormwood, we have won a many a soul through pleasure and, and good things, but all the same, it's God's invention, not ours. He made all the pleasures, and all our evil research so far has not enabled us to produce one of our own. All we demons can do is encourage the humans to take the pleasures which our enemy has produced, and at times and in ways and degrees and in manners in which he prescribes are forbidden. Meaning, Satan and the demonic powers that still exist in this world will take good things, twist them in such a way so that they can be used in evil ways leading us down paths of destruction rather than paths of life. Things like love, which are beautiful and good. Satan's like, well, let's turn that into lust. Let's turn that into ways we can deceive others, right? All sorts of things. Satan takes what is good and he can twist it. He can manipulate it in subtle and soft ways. Lead us down destructive paths. Money is not inherently evil, but we can use it for evil. And we can desire it and it can be evil in those ways. Right? Satan is sinister in his subtle ways in which he works in our lives. And we are being questioned with what do we delight in? And we need to think about what we delight in. And we need to ask, are we ever deceived in some of our delights? And are they twisted in some subtle ways, leading us in subtle ways? Down ways and paths that aren't good. You see, we must delight in the instruction of the Lord. We must delight in the law of the Lord, which is the scriptures. Because only they can help us to even determine and even detect unhealthy ways in our lives and in our heart. Because if we don't, we will be slowly led astray. The word of God is what illuminates and convicts and challenges and shapes us and gives us beautiful truth in its place and gives us a way out of temptation and despair and leads us towards life. And that's what we need and that's what we need to delight in. These living waters which never run out. And so I ask this question, what do you all delight in? Because Satan is surely to try to use the good things that God gives us, the good gifts. He's surely trying to use them to shape us and mold us and to make them not just delights, right? But places where we find our security, our rest, and our value. Ultimate places. Creating them, making them over desires. And he will do that. Trying to lead us to not just love the gift, right? 
but to find the gift as the place where we find rest, peace, comfort, security. The problem is, is we can enjoy the gifts, but we must enjoy the gift giver himself so much more. And that's what we're being called to. So do you delight in the scriptures, the word of God itself, do you delight in this offensive weapon against demonic powers and attacks that do and will come more so when you love the Lord and want to try to follow Him? Have you tasted the life-giving power of the Word of God? And do you have to have more of it? Is that true of you? Have you tasted and seen that God is good? Or, well, let's be honest with ourselves, have we become complacent? How we become too fulfilled with other things, the things of this world, or the people of this world in some way, shape, or form? Do we simply reserve a space for the Word of God on our coffee table, but yet we don't pick it up on our bedstand, but yet not read it? Or maybe instead of bringing it with us to places to breathe life into others as well as ourselves, we keep it tucked away in a closet. Do we dust off the tops of our Bibles and say, Lord, what would you have inside them and breathe deeply into us? Do we delight to hear from our divine God through his word? Do we hunger for this, the instruction of the Lord to teach us how to be obedient, ways to life? Do we want this? Or has our American prosperity dulled our taste and even our need for it? Do we think deeply about the words of Jesus? Giving them time and weight in our schedule so that we might be nourished, refreshed, challenged, sharpened, and matured. Words from Jesus' own mouth like, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, this well water. But whoever drinks of the water, the word of God which I give them, they will never thirst Indeed, the water that I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. But are we too busy? Are we too satisfied with the things of this world and the people of this world to see how beautiful the Word of God is and our need of it? That we might delight in it even more. You have to understand the words of God drip life. The Holy Spirit speaks through them to show us who God is and to change us and to shape us. Do you delight in that? I hope you do. I'm asking the Lord constantly, Lord, help me delight in it more because I need it. What you delight in, the things you spend your time, your money, your energy on, they will begin to shape you in ways and forms. Things like kids, our homes, right? Our hobbies, our vacations. These are good things. Good gifts. But do we delight in them and spend more mental energy in those things than we do in the gift giver himself? That's the question. Do we love the gifts more than the gift giver? And a lot of times for us, the answer is yes. And we need to be reminded that the gift giver is the one who gives life and breathes life. Those things are good. But we won't find life in those things like we will find in God and his word. The problem is, is that Satan knows this. And so he tempts us with milk and cookies. And he knows what your milk and cookies are. And he will tempt you. And he will come. 
And what we need is to know the word of God, to be inundated and saturated in it so that we can ward off Satan's attacks and know that they are not better than the word of God, just like Jesus does in Luke 4 when Satan comes to tempt him himself. He fights him off with the word of God because he knows it's good. The problem is when we don't delight in the word of God as much as we, we could and as beautiful as it truly is, we will inevitably walk in ways that are coming from counsels of those who might be wicked, philosophies of this world, whether we know it or not. Right? We might be standing in ways of sinners, whether we recognize it or not. We might be even sitting in the seat of mockers, whether we hear it from our own lips or not. And what gives us sensitivity to these things in our lives is the Word of God itself to think about this, to pray on these words, to meditate on them, verse 2 says. For when we do meditate on the word of God, we will be like a tree which is planted by streams of water, strong and straight and bearing much fruit. The psalmist wisely says, he who delights in the word of God is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does he prospers. Don't you want that to be true of you? Your family. Those who you care for. Don't you want that to be true of them? The source of life is in the scriptures. It's in the person and work of Jesus. And I know I do. That's why I'm asking the Lord constantly. And I'm a young minister, but I'm constantly asking him, Lord, grant me a greater hunger for your word. I need it. There's a lot of things in this life that I enjoy. And sometimes those things creep in my life and I enjoy them more than your word. And I know that is a slippery path. And I'm asking him, Lord, I need your divine help and your care to dive deeper into deeper in your word, to be just mesmerized by its beauty and by its power. I need that help. And I'm asking him, Lord, grant me greater obedience to it as well, too, that it might be true of my life because my flesh craves for other things. It does. Your flesh does, too. And so we need a great shepherd who leads us beside still waters, who restores our soul, who leads us to greener pastures. A great shepherd who also has a staff to ward off the devil. We need the word of God. We need it so badly, and I do too. And it would be good for us to ask the Lord, help us to hunger more for it. Otherwise, verses 4 and 5 would be true of us. Let's read those. Verses 4 and 5 say this, The wicked are not so, not delighting in God's word, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Meaning those who follow the worldly wisdom, right, personal wisdom sometimes even above, God's, will be like chaff of wheat stalks. And when it is harvested, right, looking to the time when we meet our maker or before he comes maybe back if that happens before we die it says that we will carry no weight no fruit no value nor substance if we are like chaff and disregard God's word as nothing when I looked up the definition of chaff the dictionary said this chaff is dry scaly protective casings of seeds of cereal grain of similar fine dry scaly plant material such as scaly parts of flowers or finely chopped straw Chaff is indigestible by humans, but livestock can eat it. I guess that's good. And in agriculture, it's used as livestock fodder. It is a waste material plowed into the soil, or it is burnt. 
it carries no nutritional value. End of quote from Webster's Dictionary. Meaning the grand scheme, any wisdom that contradicts or diverts us from the wisdom of God and his holy scriptures is worthless and it will lead us down paths of eternal destruction. Slippery slope, even if it's slow. If we continually ingest garbage like just do what feels right, right? The don't worry about life, just keep calm and carry on, right? Truth is what you make it, right? You're the author of truth, right? Achievement it is success, right? Or my personal favorite, which I've seen on a bunch of t-shirts recently, says, stop thinking and just live. I'm like, wow, it's deep. <laughs> and if we actually think this stuff is true and begin to live these ways, no wonder we might be spiritually dry or parched or burned out or frustrated or disenfranchised with the world or with others. No wonder, because these things do not refresh us and nourish us and pour deeply into us. Those things are concocted by sinful men and sinful women, not a divine God who is fully righteous and fully good. We will be like the gerbil if we are living out these philosophies of life that is stuck in the spinning wheel, constantly moving, working, going, 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 but is never moving forward. But if we dive into the word of God, the wisdom of the Lord is instruction. We love it. We begin to delight and ask the Holy Spirit to help us to delight in it. We begin, we begin to move forward, to, to be sanctified, to have a joyful, a peaceful life. And whether the winds of great storms come, we will not be blown to and fro because we are planted by God and being refreshed by the living waters, which is the word of God, and therefore storms cannot blow us back and forth. But we will grow straight and beautiful and bear much fruit. The Old Testament prophet Jeremiah said in his great book of lament, said this, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes his flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Sound familiar? The million dollar question is, is what is the state of your soul when you come? Are you parched today? Are you being refreshed, not only by the word of God, in your daily living? Where are you? A lot of times people then come up with really cool, like mystical sound. It's like, if you were a tree, what tree would you be then, right? You know, or what shrub would you be? Well, I'm going to indulge this for a minute and say, if you were a tree, right, what tree would you be? Well, I actually looked this up, right? These are trees planted by streams of water. I kid you not, right? <laughs> and if you're a botanical farmer, an arborist, or a forest pathologist, you would answer, well, I would be this type of tree that's planted by streams of water. There are this. Atlantic white cedars, bald cypress trees, black ash trees, freeman maples, green ash, nuttle oaks, pear trees, pin oaks, plane trees, pond cypress trees, 
pumpkin ash, red maple, river birch, swamp, swamp cottonwood, swamp tupelo, sweet bay magnolia, water tupelo, and my favorite, willow trees. These trees flourish when they are planted by streams of water. They grow strong and straight. They bud beautiful flowers, and some of them bear even beautiful, wonderful, tasty fruit. And it's because they are planted deeply their roots are reaching for the living waters that refresh and nourish and build them up strong and what direction do they grow they grow up towards the sun because they know they need the sun and the sun is good that's the reality pear trees do not grow in the desert all right the beautiful fruit doesn't come just like mature and wise christians are not grown Right, without the word of God and being refreshed by the word of God. The beautiful fruit crumbs from the lighting and the instruction of the Lord. And we want that to be us so we can flourish and help others to flourish in this life. This life is hard. The son of God, Jesus Christ himself says the way to life is this. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. But from now on, you do know the Father and you have seen him. If anyone loves me, he says, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not love or does not love and keep my words. And the word, though, that you hear is not mine alone, but is my Father's, God above, who sent me. That word is available to you. In the Old and New Testament, the six, six books of the Bible, which will breathe life into you, which Jesus fulfilled and the Holy Spirit can apply and illuminate in your life to help you live in this broken world and in these broken bodies and help you navigate the temptations and the difficulties. The, the word of the Lord, the instruction of the Lord is what restores us, it gives us hope. It's what plants us when difficult times come, when Satan comes and wants to try to tempt us and attack us in ways. When crazy worldly trends, philosophies blow us to and fro, we still maintain our balance because we're planted firmly in the word of God and we are being nourished day in and day out and not parched. Delight in the Word of God. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you delight in it. Anytime you can get into the Word of God, do it. Pick it up, read it, open it, meditate on it. Take a couple verses and think through it. Pray through a psalm. Challenge yourself to read through a whole book. If there's something that interests you, find out where it could be found in the Bible. Ask me. Ask one of your elders, your deacons. Ask Carlos. And we would love to help you delight in the word of God. Because it's the only thing that's going to give you life. Make this world worth living. And to make you beautiful so that you bear much fruit. Which is tasty for you and tasty for others. That's the reality. Whoever drinks of the water, Jesus says that I give him, will never be thirsty again. But the water comes from me. I am the word of God and Jesus Christ is the most beautiful thing and I hope he becomes more beautiful to you receive him see him as good in the scriptures read a gospel this summer and be blown away by the beauty the power the majestic nature of who Jesus is 
and let him transform who you are so that you bear more fruit for him and you enjoy him forevermore. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you say to us in verse 6 that you know the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked, that they will perish. Lord, I pray that we would desire and hunger for the word of God so that we might be refreshed and planted deeply. Help us to dive into the Gospels, into the Pauline epistles, Lord, into the Old Testament prophets, to read, Lord, these beautiful words which train us in godliness. Help us to know it, to, to, to love it, to be refreshed by it. Lord Jesus, we need you all the days of our life. Breathe deeply into us. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for your grace and mercy when we do not delight in your word and you are so merciful and forgiving. Thank you for that, Lord Jesus, that when we fail to love you and to love your word, you are still merciful and gracious. Thank you so much for that truth. We love you and all God's people say, amen.